This is literally everything, 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 everything. If you're like me, you have a pile of books older than your grandma's mom and taller than the Empire State Building just begging to be read. To top it off, you probably add several books to said pile every week, yet somehow find yourself in a reading slump with nothing to read. Uh Uh-huh, I see you. In an attempt to tackle my never-ending pile of books, I decided to start a podcast with hopes of making some sort of dent in said pile, and maybe help inspire your next read. I'm Odell. Welcome to Just Read It Already. Hey friends, thanks for coming back to listen to me talk about books. Hope you're having an amazing day, whatever day it is when you're listening to this. This week I have reviews of Dan Frey's Dreambound, Caroline O'Donoghue's The Rachel Incident, Kaylin Bayron's You're Not Supposed to Die Tonight, and Riley Sager's The Only One Left. As always, before I get into the reviews, let's take a look at some of the new books that are out this week, or at least some of the lists I checked said they were out this week. I guess we'll see if that actually transpires. First on my list is The Devil's Ransom by Brad Taylor. Pike Logan races to stop an insidious attack orchestrated by a man who knows America's most treasured secrets. Best of luck to Pike. Next is Cold Girls by Maxine Ray. 18-year-old Rory Quinn Morelli doesn't want to die. She wants refuge from reality for even a minute, the reality where she survived the car crash eight months ago, and her best friend Liv didn't. Then we have He Who Drowned the World by Shelley Parker Chan. This is book two in the Radiant Emperor series. Then we have The Year of Second Chances by Lara Avery. A young widow re-enters the world after a substantial loss, taking us on a lively, witty ride along with a strong cast of supporting characters. Next is 40 Words for Love by Aisha Saeed. Two teen protagonists grow from friends to something more in the aftermath of a tragedy in their magical town. Then we have Strange Unearthly Things by Kelly Krieg, I think, C-R-E-A-G-H. 18-year-old Jane is a psychic artist. She draws what she sees, and what she sees are spirits and the supernatural. Then we have In Charm's Way by Lana Harper. A witch struggling to regain what she has lost casts a forbidden spell, only to discover much more than she expected. Next is Just Do This One Thing For Me by Laura Zimmerman. A timely thriller about a rule-following daughter trying to hold her family together after her scammer mother disappears. And last on my short list this week is Teach the Torches to Burn, a Romeo and Juliet remix by Caleb Rorig, R-O-E-H-R-I-G. A breathlessly romantic remix of Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet where a queer teen boy discovers first love amid a bloody centuries-old feud. Probably gonna check that one out. This week I added ebooks of Tom Lake by Ann Patchett, love me some Ann Patchett, and Summer Sisters by Judy Bloom to my pile. These were Reese's Book Club and Read with Jenna book club picks for August, so look for those reviews in a few weeks. Today I'll kick things off with a look at Dream Band. I received a copy of this book courtesy of the publisher through NetGalley in exchange for an honest review, and this book will be published on September 12th, 2023 by Del Rey. The synopsis reads, 
In this thrilling contemporary fantasy novel, a father must uncover the secret magical underbelly of Los Angeles to find his daughter, who has seemingly disappeared into the fictional universe of her favorite fantasy series. When Byron Kidd's 12-year-old daughter vanishes, the only clue left behind is a note claiming she's taken off to explore the hidden world, a magical land from a series of popular novels. She's not the only child to seek out this imaginary realm in recent years, and Byron, a cynical and hard-nosed reporter, is determined to discover the whereabouts of dozens of missing kids. Byron secures a high-profile interview with Annabelle Tobin, the eccentric author of the books, and heads off to her palatial home in the Hollywood Hills. But the truth Byron discovers is more fantastical than he ever could have dreamed. As he uncovers locations from the books that seem to be bleeding into the real world, he must shed his doubts and dive headfirst into the mystical secrets of Los Angeles if he ever hopes to reunite with his child. Soon, Byron finds himself on his own epic journey. But if he's not careful, he could be the next one to disappear. Told through journal entries, transcripts, emails, and excerpts from Tobin's novels, Dreambound is a spellbinding homage to Los Angeles and an immersive and fast-paced story of how far a father will go, even delving into impossible worlds to save his daughter. I'm going to admit, I almost gave up on this one early on. The book is not narrative, but instead made up of various types of documents like emails, notes, transcripts of conversations, police reports, Reddit posts, web articles, stuff like that. I had a really difficult time settling into it at first, but I'm glad I stuck with it because I ended up really enjoying the story. How many times have we, as readers, found ourselves completely obsessed with a book series? I have several. When I was a kid, I crawled into my grandmother's wardrobe and fell asleep there because I was waiting for the back to open up to Narnia. No joke. In high school, I fantasized about moving to Sweet Valley so I could be friends with Jessica and Elizabeth Wakefield at Sweet Valley High. And who didn't want to get a letter from Hogwarts? In this book, 12-year-old Liza Kidd disappears one night, leaving only a note telling her parents that she's left their home in Boston and gone to find the Hidden World, which is the setting in a very popular book series and one that Lila is obsessed with. Her investigative reporter father, Byron, is desperate to find her. After waiting six months, her mother is doing her best just to move on and accept that Liza isn't coming back, but Byron is certain she's still out there. When he learns her cell phone pinged somewhere in Los Angeles, he packs a bag, takes off across country to find his daughter. Byron's initial thought is that Liza fell prey to some sort of human trafficking crew, but the further he immerses himself in the lore of the hidden world, the more he reluctantly realizes that this fantasy world of fairies and magical creatures might just be real and more dangerous than he ever could have thought. And could the author of the books be behind all of it? The story is wildly inventive. Once I got about 75 pages in, I was invested in the story and the style of the book started to grow on me. Would I have preferred a more narrative approach? Absolutely. But in the end, this style, while annoying in the beginning, ended up really working for the book. I will say that I had several questions and doubts toward the end as far as the storyline goes, and when I would find what appeared to be a continuity issue, the author would quickly correct it. I tend to overanalyze and find plot holes and consistency issues very easily, but the author did a great job of threading things together and making it make sense, even for an overly critical reader such as myself. One thing that I did find somewhat annoying were the redacted bits when the character of Byron was journaling about what was happening. He often thinks that something fantastical is a play, but then crosses these thoughts out to keep himself grounded in reality. 
Style-wise, I get why the author added these bits, but I got annoyed with them because they felt almost like road bumps that would temporarily take me out of the story. The further Byron goes, though, the fewer redactions there are as he begins to accept that maybe something magical is at play, so it got a little easier to read. If the premise of this one interests you, I would definitely recommend checking it out. It reads as a blend of crime and fantasy, something I've not read before. If you get frustrated, stick with it. Once you get used to the way it's written, you'll be in for a fun ride. I gave this one three and a half stars on my blog and Storygraph, and three stars on Goodreads. Next, we'll take a look at The Rachel Incident by Caroline O'Donohue. This book was first published by Knopf on June 27th, 2023, and was one of my Artvark book club picks for July. The synopsis reads, A brilliantly funny novel about friends, lovers, Ireland in chaos, and a young woman desperately trying to manage all three. Rachel is a student working at a bookstore when she meets James, and it's love at first sight. Effervescent and insistently heterosexual, James soon invites Rachel to be his roommate, and the two begin a friendship that changes the course of both their lives forever. Together, they run riot through the streets of Cork City, trying to maintain a bohemian existence while the threat of the financial crash looms before them. When Rachel falls in love with her married professor, Dr. Fred Byrne, James helps her devise a reading at their local bookstore, with the goal that she might seduce him afterwards. But Fred has other desires. So begins a series of secrets and compromises that intertwine the fates of James, Rachel, Fred, and Fred's glamorous, well-connected, bougie wife. Aching with unrequited love, shot through with delicious, sparkling humor, the Rachel incident is a triumph. I fully agree. The joys of being in our 20s. That awkward time when we're finally out on our own, taking life by the balls and fucking things up relentlessly. To say I saw myself and some of my friends in Rachel and her best friend James is an extreme understatement. This review will contain a couple of minor spoilers that happen early in the book, so if you want to go in completely blind, skip ahead to the next review using the chapters. Rachel, our main character, works with James at a bookstore, and the two are instant best friends. James is obviously gay, but denies it to his very core. Hello, younger me. When Rachel's boyfriend breaks up with her and James learns Rachel has a crush on older man Fred Byrne, her English teacher, he helps devise a plan to bring Byrne and Rachel closer together. Rachel learns that Byrne wrote a book and puts in a bunch of fake orders for fake customers at the bookstore to make it appear the book is going to be very popular, and then convinces her boss to hold a book signing event at the store. There's a decent turnout, and Rachel feels pretty confident that it's only a matter of time before she'll be in Byrne's bed. But then she catches Byrne and James kissing in the back closet, and everything turns on its head. When Rachel befriends Byrne's loving wife, she gets in over her head and is unwittingly drawn into James and Byrne's drama, but also manages to cook up some drama of her own with a new boy that just might be the one she's been looking for. But when we're young and stupid, rarely can we see what's good for us. There were so many times while reading this book that I thought for sure the author had to have been hiding in the shadows watching my friend Aaron and I when we were in our 20s, and for me, even into my early 30s. Looking back on all of our antics now, I can't believe some of the shit we did and got away with. The thing is, we thought it was totally normal because we were young, dumb, and selfish. Much like the characters in this book. 
This book is filled with quippy dialogue and cringeworthy moments, but it's also filled with a lot of heart. The characters are all very strong, and most of them are sympathetic. It was super easy to connect with them because, having gone through something similar, I knew that in the end, they would get through it, and everything would be okay. Lessons will be learned, hearts would be mended, life would go on. With its compelling narrative, exquisitely developed characters, and thought-provoking themes, the author successfully captures the naivete of new adulthood, heartache, and personal growth. Honestly, who would we be without our mistakes? Obviously, I really enjoyed this book, and it's definitely one of my favorites this year. I gave it four and three-quarter stars on Storygraph and my blog, and rounded that up to five stars on Goodreads. Definitely check this one out. All right, let's take a quick break. Next, I'll share my thoughts on Kaylin Bayron's You're Not Supposed to Die Tonight. This book was first published by Bloomsbury on June 20th, 2023, and the synopsis reads, At Camp Mirror Lake, terror is the name of the game, but can you survive the night? This heart-pounding slasher by New York Times bestselling author Kaylin Bayron is perfect for fans of Fear Street. Charity Curtis has the summer job of her dreams, playing the final girl at Camp Mirror Lake. Guests pay to be scared in this full-contact terror game, as Charity and her summer crew recreate scenes from a classic slasher film, Curse of Camp Mirror Lake. The more realistic the fear, the better for business. But the last weekend of the season, Charity's co-workers begin disappearing, and when one ends up dead, Charity's role as the final girl suddenly becomes all too real. If Charity and her girlfriend, Bessie, hope to survive the night, they'll need to figure out what this killer is after. Is there more to the story of Mirror Lake and its dangerous past than Charity ever suspected? Now, this review does mention a plot point that some might consider a spoiler. So if you want to go into this one completely blind, skip to the next review using the chapters. As I said in an earlier episode, I think it was episode 20, when I reviewed Your Lonely Nights Are Over, I am a slasher movie junkie, so when I read the synopsis of this one, I knew I had to have it immediately. And while I liked it, sadly I didn't love it. The book starts out very strong. I love the idea of a full contact horror movie experience where you can go to a camp where a classic slasher movie was filmed and then relive the movie, but in a way that includes you in the narrative. Now, would I do it? Hell no. I love slasher movies, but I cannot do haunted houses. My friends used to love taking me to haunted houses when I lived in Texas and then watch me get scared shitless. I was their entertainment. The things I said and did when I got scared were hilarious and also ridiculous. I would definitely end up going viral and humiliated. Now, would I love to sit and watch my friends experience one of these? Fuck yes. Or maybe even work behind the scenes. I think that would be wildly entertaining. What made me super excited was the idea that during one of these faux horror sessions, a masked killer actually pops up and starts hacking away at the campers, or at least that's what I thought I was going to get. But things took a bit of a turn about halfway in, and I'm not sure how I feel about it. 
While it added a twist to the standard slasher formula, it felt a bit convoluted to me and left me feeling underwhelmed. It almost felt like there were three horror tropes fighting for seniority here. We had the slasher, the paranormal, and then the secret society, and it muddied things up a bit for me. While I could have probably gotten on board with a paranormal element tied into it, the secret society thing really ruined it for me. Now that said, the pacing of the novel is fast-paced and very thrilling. The action starts at the first page and continues until the very end. As the protagonists are put in dangerous situations, there is a lot of tension and suspense that keeps the reader engaged. The writing style is effective and engaging, the characters are well-developed and the dialogue is natural and realistic. Baron does a great job of building up the tension and suspense throughout the story, making it difficult for readers to put the book down. The plot's well-crafted, stakes are high as the protagonists fight to stay alive. Overall, this is an enjoyable horror novel with strong characters and a well-paced plot. While some of the added elements added an interesting twist to the classic slasher vibe, I felt that it took away from the classic horror elements of the story. Regardless, the suspense and tension kept me engaged until the very end. It was a super quick read, and I did like the surprise ending. I ended up giving this one three and a half stars on my blog on Storygraph and three stars on Goodreads. I'll finish up with Riley Sager's The Only One Left. This book was first published by Dutton on June 20th, 2023, and was one of my book of the month picks in July. The synopsis reads, At 17, Lenora Hope hung her sister with a rope, stabbed her father with a knife, took her mother's happy life. It wasn't me, Lenora said, but she's the only one not dead. Now reduced to a schoolyard chant, the Hope family murder shocked the Maine coast one bloody night in 1929. While most people assume 17-year-old Lenora was responsible, the police were never able to prove it. Other than her denial after the killings, she has never spoken publicly about that night, nor has she set foot outside Hope's End, the cliffside mansion where the massacre occurred. It's now 1983, and home health aide Kit McDear arrives at a decaying Hope's End to care for Lenora after her previous nurse fled in the middle of the night. In her 70s and confined to a wheelchair, Lenora was rendered mute by a series of strokes and can only communicate with Kit by typing out sentences on an old typewriter. One night, Lenora uses it to make a tantalizing offer. I want to tell you everything. As Kit helps Lenora write about the events leading to the Hope family massacre, it becomes clear there's more to the tale than people know. But when new details about her predecessor's departure come to light, Kit starts to suspect Lenora might not be telling the complete truth, and that the seemingly harmless woman in her care could be far more dangerous than she first thought. This was my third Riley Sager book, and it did not disappoint. I loved the character dynamics and especially loved the Lizzie Borden vibe. No one but Lenora Hope really knows what happened the night her parents were stabbed to death and her sister was hung from a chandelier in their mansion by the sea. Lenora was the only survivor, and because of that, many people in town believe she was responsible for the murders, though there was never enough proof to convict her. After the murders, Lenora became a recluse. No one had seen her for years. She and a few servants have stayed locked up in the big, creepy mansion on the edge of the cliff, relinquishing herself to urban legend status. Kit McDear is no stranger to murder accusations. Kit is a caregiver, and when one of her patients dies, fingers are pointed at Kit though she swears she didn't do it. 
After being on probation for several months, Kit's boss calls and offers her a job to take care of the infamous Lenora Hope. Kit really doesn't have a choice. She either takes the job or remains unemployed, and she needs money. So she reluctantly moves into the mansion called Hope's End to take care of a potential murderer. Over the course of the next few weeks, Kit will begin to dig into Lenora's past, and though Lenora can't speak or walk after a series of strokes and only has a use of one hand, she will tell Kit her story using her one good hand and a typewriter. But is Kit ready to hear the truth? This was a gripping and suspenseful novel that kept me on the edge of my seat from beginning to end. Sager's storytelling skills are exceptional, and his ability to create a haunting atmosphere is truly remarkable. I've read The Final Girls and Home Before Dark by him and really enjoyed both of them. My favorite thus far has been Home Before Dark. Had the right amount of twists without going overboard. That one kept me guessing until the very end. I did not see the twist coming at all. Which is surprising for me because I'm notorious for figuring them out early on and then spending the rest of the book proving myself right. What I liked most about this book was the structure. Through a series of flashbacks and present-day scenes, Sager is able to build tension and suspense, gradually revealing pieces of the puzzle through Lenora's confessions, which keeps us guessing. As far as twists go, there were several in this book. Some might even say too many. One of them wasn't much of a twist for me. I had my suspicions early on. But Sager threw in a few others. One that I didn't expect, and then another that I felt was a little too contrived and maybe even unnecessary. Didn't completely ruin things for me, but it felt a bit forced. Like, hold off, buddy. We're good with the twists. We're good with what you had. We didn't need that one, too. But if you're a fan of psychological thrillers with well-developed characters and an atmospheric setting, this book is a must-read. Highly recommended. I gave it four and a quarter stars on my blog and Storygraph, and four stars on Goodreads. All right, that's all I have for you this week. Nice, short, and sweet. Be sure to join me next week when I share my thoughts on Case and Calendars, Stars in Your Eyes, Tracy Lang's The Connollys of County Down, Ralph Vincent's Secrets Never Die, and Robin Harding's The Drowning Woman. I hope you have an amazing week. We'll see you next time.